Hello, and welcome to the Reform Millennials podcast. This show is dedicated to identifying macro waves or trends that millennials can jump on to better invest their time and money. Our goal is to help improve your life and business by being early and right on those trends. Learn more and stay up to date by visiting our website at reformedmillennials.com or join the discussion in our Facebook group, also named Reformed Millennials. Welcome, podcast listeners, to another episode of Reform Millennials. On today's very special episode, I'm going to be interviewing Dan Belotowski. Is that right? Belotowski? Belotowski. Um, The reason why I was so excited to interview Dan is because of the specific industry that he's in. So he is a founder of Honestore, a real estate data company. Um, a lot of people, when you think of an online real estate company, you think Zillow, you think a company like MLS, Realtor.ca, um, heck, even Kijiji. But I believe Dan's kind of trying to change that. Um, and my excitement stems more so from my change or shift in my perception of real estate. Uh, growing up, I always felt as though real estate was somewhere that, that or something that you you purchased to live in. It wasn't so much an investment. Um, I think that stemmed a lot from just there not being a lot of information there. And what was super interesting as I did a little bit of a dive into not necessarily just his business, but real estate in general, I started to see a few trends. And um, this year just so happens to be to coincide with what is arguably going to be outside of maybe the boom back in the 40s, 50s, 60s in real estate in the United States, one of the, or the start of one of the biggest bull markets in information and then market capitalization and businesses that tend to people's homes, residential real estate more specifically. So you may be asking like how that's possible or at least how I think that's possible. Well, what is all kind of coming together into what you could call like the soup or stew of real estate is a, is a, is multiple factors. So a lot of people may or may not know this, but demographics tend to uh, be a large imprint on or influence on the direction of housing prices. What you require in order for housing prices to go up is an increase in demand. Well, millennials and more specific, specific uh, 30-year-olds um, are a large subset of the population today. As if you're a politician, you definitely recognize that you need to start t- catering to the needs of these people. Millennials are your new biggest voting class. Well, they're also your new biggest home owners too. And that isn't the case in terms of actual owner- ownership. These people are coming into the market and they need to buy homes. You combine that with the reality that everything is shut down right now. If you are a 30 year old person, you work in the service industry, you aren't working from the office anymore. You're you're back at home. You got your hockey rinks are closed. You have your bars are closed. You're not going to concerts. Restaurants are pickup only. And then you, I mean, I I, I you might agree with this, Dan, but like Cineplex Audio might be the most dead business in the world. Like home entertainment right now is Disney Plus and Netflix. So you have this this new need for residential real estate or more specifically your home. You've never cared more about your house than you do today. And that's crazy to me because I felt as though our population was actually moving away from it. And now we need to know more about our house, which is what made me super excited to talk to you, Dan. Um, So 
to kind of kick it off, I'd love to kind of get your background in regards to where you came from before you moved into Honest Store, and then we can kind of build off of that. Um, sure. I've kind of been in the startup space ever since I graduated here from Edmonton, from U of A. I uh, started a company with a friend of mine right out of the U of A. It was called Bello Net Media, a spinoff of my last name and his last name. Real unique. Uh, but it had a net at the end, almost sounded kind of software-ish. And uh, it was digital billboards. We literally went around and put up digital billboards instead of the traditional ones and kind of created some software along the way to go with it. Um, eventually kind of spread between Edmonton, Calgary. We we're getting leases, I think even, yeah, I think it was just Alberta when we sold and sold it to uh, the Patterson Group, which is a big, big outfit there from uh, Vancouver. That was pretty cool. That was our kind of first taste at business. Learned, you know, a lot. That's, you know, a whole, whole nother conversation. Um, kind of with the proceeds, jumped into real estate. That's where I kind of figured out that, hey, I think there's probably some issues here. Bought a couple homes, sold a couple homes, kind of did what you think you're supposed to do with, you know, a bit of, a bit of money. Um, but then realized that like, hey, no one has this information. It's so weird, you know, transacting on just a whim. And then I was buying properties by like, you know, putting flyers in people's homes where I thought they were advantageous properties. Be like, Hey, can I buy a property? And they're like, sure. You know, what's it worth? No one had any idea. And then you bring in like a realtor who, who, who might be great or who might not be. Um, but again, it was just weird to me that 1% of the people had all the information and the other 99% of us didn't have it. Um, so that was kind of like the first kind of, Hey, I think there's something here. I think people are starved for more information. And that was the first kind of, 1.0 of Honest Store. I did some stuff in, in between Honest Store and that company. but Yeah, I was kind of peering through your online persona and um, I noticed that real estate seems to be um, kind of the catch-all when it comes to what you're actually doing now. Um, hilarious that you mentioned that you were, you were putting uh, letters in people's mailboxes to ask them whether or not they'd be willing to sell. I actually just did this nice. <laughs> myself, <laughs> um, which just states that there's still so much inefficiency. But so in my industry, when I look at a market and I think that there's possible opportunity, um, if there's ever going to be alpha in that area, there needs to be inefficiency. And to me, I think you just pointed that out and saying that when you were trying to go and you were trying to invest your money or um, approach the market yourself, you recognize that there was just not a lot of information and lack of information sprouts opportunity. So would it be accurate to say that that's kind of what you're trying to solve? with the, your business? I think version 1.0, uh, where I think we are right now, is information. I think we, I mean, having more information doesn't really help or doesn't really fix the biggest problems in real estate. Like maybe, it, you know, the transaction costs are too high or maybe you can't afford your down payment or, you know, all these other things. So I think that having more information, you'll probably get burnt less and people are starved for it and maybe they can make their decisions faster. Um, so I think information is key and then off information, I think you build to help that home buying, home selling experience. So what kind of information are you trying to aggregate with your platform? Um, we got different data for different cities. Uh, we got a pretty good product in Alberta right now. We're building a really strong pipeline to kind of take that same product across the country. But we talked to the province, we talked to the cities, we talked to all the little municipalities around. Uh, there's open data in most provinces. Uh, there's the MLSs, there's agents, there's user submitted data that's becoming very popular that I could talk about later, but it's pretty cool that users are actually in the hundreds. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but nonetheless are, are, are giving us their data. They're giving us pictures, they're giving us, um, you know, 
invoices, everything that you could imagine on their house. And, uh, and that's pretty powerful. So that kind of shows there's a bit of trust there. Um, so anyway, we aggregate for like 10 different sources and anything we can find. And we're always looking for more. Um, you know, I'd love to have more data, more interesting data that the market doesn't have. Yeah. So I, I using your guys' service, I think, um, benefits the people that are going to be purchasing more so than maybe someone who's in se- looking to sell their home might not be as much as attractive. But when I was, I was, I was shooting through a bunch of articles um, around, I mean, and there just tends to be more around Zillow and, and open door and they had um, more specifically in, in their, their S ones mentioned that the reason why they are ultra competitive or likely to continue to um, grow and, and take a ton of the market share from uh, other brokers like, I don't know, Remax and Central or whatever other real estate agents there might be out there. The reason why they're able to do that is because of the data that they have. They're able to make good purchases. They're able to enter the proper markets that are growing or that might be um, interested in in building out a real estate business. Um, so for you guys, you, you, you've, you've tackled Alberta. Are you able to, to kind of tell what that the demographic that's using it? Is it mostly people in their 30s, 40s, or are there older people using it? Um, sure. I'll kind of step step back just a second. Sellers, you said that they would have less use for it than buyers. Um, but let's pretend you're a seller. Say you want to mm-hmm. sell your house. You go onto our site. There's an honest store price, which is kind of like the Zestimate, if people are familiar with Zillow, which gives you the instant value of what we think your house is worth. So you could be like, hey, um, okay, that's what my home's worth. Because usually when an agent goes and advertises, they advertise you know, free home appraisal or something like that. So I think it puts people in a position where they don't have to quickly decide on which agent they want to use or how they're going to sell their home. Mm. It kind of is like, okay, cool. I could research my entire street on what homes have sold for. I could see what Honest Door Press thinks my home is worth. I could see all the other attributes of the different homes and what they went for, for per, per square foot, all this stuff. So I think it kind of really empowers people. So someone doesn't come into their, you know, in their home and sits on their couch and says, I think your home's worth 500 and maybe it's worth more. I'm not saying that would happen, but um, I think it gives people a sense of confidence. Yeah. Okay. So you would almost be able to argue that they would be willing or these people would be after um, using the data that set that you've been able to give them, go and use something like Purple Door. Or purple bricks, sorry. Purple bricks. Yeah, well, exactly. So what we've actually offered right now is that you could just list your house for free, similarly to when Zillow got started on our site. So I think we only have about a hundred listings, and but people have just found our site on their own. They put in their information, and one person is actually transacted with another person that was also offline with no agents in the middle. Um, that's pretty cool. So yeah, you could advertise your home right now for sale on Kijiji or um, obviously with an agent, um, but this is for free. Put it up, put it up before, you know, maybe you want to not hit the MLS. Maybe you want to try to save some cash, do whatever you think is right. But uh, we're getting a lot of private listings, which is interesting. That's absolutely. I find that um, a lot of the private listings that if I'm ever looking for a property or to be found on a Kijiji of sorts. Yeah. Um, it seems to be a pretty popular platform there. And I, I don't know whether or not Facebook's doing this, but um, I think that I, I see a lot of houses there too, at least maybe from a rental perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think more on rental, but yes, Facebook could be a big player. Yeah. I mean, I know that when I'm buying and selling things, I don't even go to Kijiji anymore. So um, I mean, that's only a hundred dollar product or whatever, sure. but, but it, it's, it seems to be a much more powerful platform for for selling stuff that's 
minor from a, a numbers perspective. So I kind of want to shoot back to uh, starting a company. So yeah. you've done this twice now. Um, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate the difficulty that it might be. I, I mean, we've maybe maybe not everybody, but if you're listening to this podcast, you probably also listen to other podcasts around um, what it takes to, to, to run a startup. But for you, what what were like the initial moves that you you had to 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 decide to make in starting on a store? I don't know. You get you do something once, and you know you get this false sense of confidence. You could do it again, um, <laughs> but it's really like you don't really know any better, and you always constantly think of like, okay, I got a, a, the next idea, the next idea, and you get so many ideas pitched to you. So I worked in the not worked, but I was kind of helping in the investment space in a while in the tech space. So you see all these different ideas. And you, you can't commit to any. And so sometimes people are like, oh, you know, there was this life-changing moment of, you know, across the street, a pine cone hit me in the head and I came up with an idea. But for me, like, I really had to search for this idea. And uh, and and then it kind of came to me and all the kind of pieces came together because I had some experience. Uh, I went to UCLA and did a real estate development program. I thought being a developer would be pretty cool. Uh, this is just more scalable and a bit faster. But um, yeah, it's super hard, man. And, you know, I've had a lot of help along the way. I've had a good partner along the way, but so much more goes into it. Like by the time you're at a stage where you're properly set up for like even the first round of funding, um, so much time goes by everything so much slower than you think. And um, I don't know, there's a lot of worrying involved. And then once you get funders, then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I have investors. I can't disappoint them. And then the, the worries just amplify from there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in today's day and age, we kind of... Um there's this idolatry of, of founders and they're, they're, they're gods. You, you see people like Elon Musk and, um, and, and people like him, I guess, Amazon's mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and they're incredibly famous for starting these incredible companies. They have like countries worth of wealth that they've, they've been able to, um, to build. And I don't think people recognize just how tough it was for them, but we've also, it's, it's kind of like this North American, way of life where we we truly do um we do idolize these people and you know to an extent they definitely deserve a lot of it it's just so so tough so yeah and who's who's to know you know maybe my day-to-day -day is harder than mark zuckerberg's um right it's certainly way more responsibility but like there's so many founders that like you know i've reached one echelon and i mean there's so many that i talk to every day that you know are, are way further behind but they're just grinding and they work so hard so you can't take that away but i know i've said this once before but i think it's so important to recognize that entrepreneurship usually is for the rich and I, I'm really, you know, passionate about that because, you know, I'm fortunate that I could become an entrepreneur. I was even fortunate I could have jumped in on the first one. You know, my parents gave me a bit of money and said, hey, you can, you know, try this out. Without that, I, I couldn't have done it. Like, I, how would I have done it? And so I think a lot of people miss that. And then the other entrepreneurs that I know are successful that are now going on to these great raises or exits, um, you know, I, I tend to peel that onion back a little bit and, and see where they came from. And, you know, it wasn't exactly from shambles. So I think that, you know, most of these people are from fortunate situations and they have the luxury of starting it. I saw a tweet maybe yesterday, maybe it was on Saturday, of the average founder is 46 years old. Average age of a founder is 46 years old. So to think that you got to start doing and, and exiting in your 20s, which you did, which is incredible. Um, and then starting your second company much later, but you're still in your early 30s. That's incredible. But for those that maybe haven't yet, 
um, the average person doesn't start their business until later on in life because you, like you alluded to, it's for the wealthy. You can't just go and do that. If you've got two kids that are in school and you're, you have a wife or a husband, there's no freaking way that you're just going to go and start a company and not make any money. Yeah. It can't be easy. So yeah, you gotta give, you gotta give you props for that, man. Um, so you said that you're in phase one. What does phase two look for, look like for you guys? World domination. No, I'm kidding. Um, phase one was really like, hey, we're going to prove this out in Alberta. We're going to prove that people give a shit. And then we're going to scale this from around the country. And then we're going to slowly start adding services that could actually help the, the homeowner's journey beyond information. Um, but the whole point was, hey, let's let's realize what people are doing, what they're looking for. And let's become that all-encompassing real estate website where people go to before they've picked an agent, before they've even picked a neighborhood, before they've picked the house that they want. And that's the goal is to get those people on our site and come at it from a place of, um, you know, we're not pushing products or pushy or anything and make it look and seem different than all the other real estate websites. And I think we are because most other real estate websites, you go and you can look at homes that are currently for sale and you don't even know much about the homes that's currently for sale because the whole point is to put the most positive remarks out there. So it's almost like this expose, a Carfax, a Wikipedia of real estate, whatever you want to call it uh, for every single property, not just listed properties. Yeah. I find that it's just, it's also owned by gatekeepers. And um, in almost all industries, I mean, there's there's this reality that real estate is, I mean, with the exception of maybe one or two, the oldest industries in the world. And the the older an industry is, the more difficult it is to change, um, whether it be the consumers that are consuming it or the people that are operating it and um, owning it. So you've chosen one. And uh, the last conversation we had with one another, you had said that there's there's like a graveyard full of, of businesses that have tried to start up and, and take over this, this area. Um, can you kind of speak to where those, those you think most of these companies have failed and why, and, and why now perhaps is a better time to start? I think people have always challenged real estate agents and the MLS, and some people have negative views on their experiences with an agent. And they're like, you know, Anyway, they get motivated by it, maybe start companies or whatever. Um, but it hasn't, like if you kind of look back at the stats, realtors are still around. They probably do 90% of the business. We're actually figured out they do less percent of the business. Um, maybe they advertise they do a bit higher. Uh, but I think, you know, a different municipality in, in Quebec, it's completely different. That's a whole another topic, but let's call it 80, 85% of the business and in the United States with Zillow being very strong, having a good sense of the data, um, people still think that they need uh, an agent's help. And that doesn't seem like it's going away. And there, and that's what I kind of meant. There's a lot of graveyard or whatever companies in the graveyard that have tried to disrupt real estate agents fully. Like you don't ever need an agent. And it seems that people are still a little bit more comfortable. I think that'll continue to be challenged. Um, but you even look at Zillow. I mean, they've now you know become a brokerage in, in most of the states in the U.S. Not all of them. I think their plan is the same in Canada, um, and as is ours. And so it seems like true full disruption, um, never needing a middleman. Um, it might be out there, but it's not the biggest market piece. And it's almost like most people haven't bought and sold five homes. Kind of similarly to you haven't bought and sold five cars. Uh, or sorry, maybe you have bought and sold a few cars along the way. Uh, and so you never really get familiar with the process. 
And without getting really familiar with the process, you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, honey, should we do this or not? Or maybe let's just use an agent. And, and then you feel safer uh, for whatever reason, because you're busy. You might, you know, do whatever you do in your day job and you're just not that comfortable and you don't do it frequently enough to, to displace them. That's my thought. No, I think I kind of agree. And I can echo that, that sentiment in my space where I would argue that where you, you said 85% of, of transactions are performed with a with an agent. In my industry, it's probably 60. And um, quite honestly, I think that that's going to continue to deteriorate with the invade with the event with the um, adoption of, of apps like Robinhood, Wealthsimple, um, all of these these new tools that are available to business owners or not business owners, but investors that allows for you to approach it on your own. And um, I think that with technology and with interest rates being lower, with our comfortability of doing things online without having our hands held, if you're, if there is, if technology is able to reduce the friction that, or the perceived friction in um, consuming in this market or to uh, um, pushing through a transaction in this market, I do believe that there's going to be more willingness to uh, adopt a a hybrid of what you guys are putting out there and what, maybe what a broker is. And um, I mean, we're seeing in the US, you, you you look at a state like Arizona, and I think four or 5% of all transactions are done by open door, where they actually buy the whole freaking thing. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure in other states, if you start to add in Zillow, that increases. So um, it is my opinion, and it's my sentiment, just when I like, I kind of started this podcast off talking about how the space itself is going to become dominated by my generation, our generation. If that's the case, um, and also I should add that Tesla is doing most of their purchases of your second largest purchase online without having a salesperson hold your hand through the process. If this continues, I can't see why at least you guys don't start to expand um, your your percentage of the total addressable market like reduce that 85 percent yeah i agree i mean you can look at a province even in canada here like quebec and i think 50 percent i could be wrong but let's call it i'll go on the record but 50 percent of all transactions in quebec are done through purple bricks or do proprio what they're called over there um that's a very different mindset than the rest of the country even the united states and um that means, yeah, 50% of them are maybe, I don't know, more analytical, more, you know, grabbing the reins and doing it themselves. But, you know, if that shows us anything, and that could be the highest almost for sale by owner market in the world. Uh, so there's room to grow, right? If they're at 50% and everyone else is like at 90, I mean, it could get there. I think the tools do need to improve. And I think we're one of those tools that hopefully can uh, can do that. Maybe we work alongside with agents and in, in, in different capacities. Um, but the MLS is, they're, uh, they're, they're a big, big, strong board that don't want to go anywhere. Well, no, the incentive isn't in, uh, it's not in their interest anyway, right? Like it's this, the there's this, um, it's unfortunate because you'd be cannibalizing yourself if you were to um, start to adopt new tools, right? You almost have to, it's this innovators paradox, I think, where Disney Plus, it was it just went through this themselves, where they didn't wanna start putting all of their their content on online for 12 bucks a month, when they were printing like billion dollar box office, office hits out of Cineplex, right? Like they didn't want, or AMC, like they weren't, they didn't wanna miss that. 
that's huge money. I mean, you have real estate agents that are making millions of dollars. So you can't, they're not going to switch to this. So obviously that's arguably the biggest headwind for you guys. But I mean, the adoption of, of DocuSign, the low interest rates, um, low volatility in housing. If you're able to aggregate data so you can make more confident decisions on the actual um, price, that'll improve these things. So to me, I, I think it's just fantastic. So um, you mentioned it earlier that you want to start adding some tools. Obviously, the more people, the better. It starts to create this, this flywheel effect, which is what I think every startup is looking for. What, what additional tools you guys wanted to tack on? Um, I think we kind of want to conquer that data piece a little bit further, and we want a really unique data set that's only ours. So the fact that people are now trusting us with their uh, with their home's information on on everything they've ever done in the home and giving us a dozen pictures on on their property, I think that's pretty cool. And I think we really want to build that up. Um, and then we want other people to share. And so it becomes this like community of, of everything. And it's also going to make our models more accurate. Now that we know, you know, this person renovated like this, you know, I don't know, you can, you can learn a lot about it every neighborhood. And if you get one or two units in a building, you can all of a sudden start to paint a pretty good picture of, of what a lot of the units look like. Um, so that's kind of step one. And and I still think there's a lot of room for us to grow in, in creating these unique data sets and really driving our traffic up. I mean, our traffic's pretty high. We don't advertise at the moment. I don't know why I'm, I'm proud of not advertising. I know you always hear, oh, but we don't advertise, but uh, maybe you should. <laughs> but we, um, yeah, I think we want to get to a pretty good number. I mean, we're getting closer to 100,000 visits a month. Uh, and really most of that's out of Alberta. And um, as soon as we're kind of done this, done this data pipeline, I think we really want to get all over the country, you know, maybe 10x that traffic. And I think we'll, we'll be at a position where we're going to uh, do a couple interesting things. So I still think that, you know, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of what widget we want to add, I really think we want to create a pretty unbelievable product for the country. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that you guys don't advertise. Uh, I don't know if you read the Airbnb S1, but inside of that S1, one of the biggest points that they were trying to make was that 90% of their traffic is organic. Yeah, which means that they aren't uh, they don't have to pay the Facebook tax or the Google tax, right, which is a incredibly powerful advantage, right? They have that that brand effect that nobody else has, which is very, very powerful, which means that that's argued like I mean that's what you guys are trying to produce. So yeah, and I um, think if you could do that, yeah, just to emphasize that, Joel, like if you could kind of take your time a little bit, you can't take too much, uh, and really try to make sure like your engagement numbers are high and people are actually wanting to go to your site. You're not just filtering them in from a from an ad and they didn't even know where they came from and their engagement's crap. Like our site has impeccable uh, engagement. Like some sites, they'll say we got a million users a month. You're like, oh my god, right? I could do a presentation and you'd be astonished, but. Um, but their engagement might be super low. Like if we committed 50 grand a month, we could 10x our traffic, you know, overnight. But the fact that we actually do zero and people stay on our site for over five minutes and our bounce rates 5%, which means 95% of our users actually stay on our site. They don't just go on our site and leave. I mean, those kind of things are like, like an Airbnb, like when it becomes kind of branding and stickiness are, are more important than traffic really is. So, um, this is a, a question that was forwarded to me from Brock, and I think that it's it's a really good question to ask, especially after you just mentioned that um, your your intention is to really build out your data sets. Um, and that there's obviously this this product makes sense for consumers, but 
in reality, if you're going to be making money here, I think that it has it has to be a B2B business model that you guys are able to sell to kind of maintain, right? Um, so where's the advantage if you're an insurance company? Where's the, are there government bodies that might be interested in some of your data? Um, can you kind of speak to that in, in, in any capacity? Yeah, I mean, it will become that. Um, think about how powerful it is if I were to tell Home Depot all the addresses that have, well, not Home Depot, all the addresses that have hot tubs um, or all the addresses that have had, um, I don't, I don't even, I can't even come up with it. Well, let's just stick with hot tubs for a minute. Um, that becomes very powerful. If you're a developer and you want to target multifamily buildings and I could tell you that, Hey, um, here are the multifamily buildings that are 40 years old and have only been transacted once from the original owner. Um, and I could add all these layers of criteria. We could do that now with a snap of a button. We're just trying to get better at it and have more data for the whole country. So all those things become extremely important, extremely fast. And even for an insurance company, right now we have insurance companies, banks, mortgage brokers, they all use our site for free just for the honest store price. So is there a way that we could kind of layer a, another version of the honest store price and maybe license it? Um, to the banks uh, or to insurance companies. That's that's another side of things. Um, but then, yeah, just having everyone at the beginning, like think about how many things have to happen in a home journey. Um, when you get movers, when you get an insurance appraisal, when you you know do a renovation the first six months of moving in. So if we know who's buying a house or building a house or listing a house before they do it, uh, it becomes powerful. Yeah, and if you're, I mean, if I'm a real estate fund, I've raised, $30 million for city of Edmonton. And I want to go and buy a bunch of buildings, renovate them, fill them up with people, pull some income off of that. I come to you and I'm like, okay, this, can you give me 15 buildings uh, between this valuation that only have had one owner Yeah, and they haven't had any sort of renovations done, which means they're probably looking to sell, gives me an opportunity to maybe make some sort of money in terms of improvements and then increase rents. Like if I'm a if I'm an investor, I, I want that information. So, yeah, it's a very simple search at this point for us. So I think yeah, once you get that unique data set at scale is the critical thing. Uh, it becomes super powerful. Like right now, we could talk to a couple of companies, and we've already had a lot of interest even for acquisition. Um, but it just seems like you know yeah okay we crushed it in Alberta. We don't even cover every city in Alberta yet. Um, but if you could duplicate this, you know, across the country, that just you know. You can 10x that. So you're an Alberta-based entrepreneur. Um, are there any resources that you might recommend for somebody trying to start a company locally? Um, I mean, I find for myself, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur per se, but I I do work with a lot of them. And it would be helpful if I could kind of point them in the right direction if they're trying to find help, whether it be funding, government funding, um, resources, whatever they have you. Yeah, I think that, you know, even when I had my first company, uh, Startup Edmonton, maybe it wasn't going or people, I don't know, it wasn't as robust as it is now. But I think, yeah, you connect with the person at Startup Edmonton. And you say, hey, like, I'm trying to do something in sports vitamins. And they'll know. They know everybody in the space and they know mentors. They know people who have been there and done that. And they'll they'll connect you to someone who knows a thing or two, whether it's about funding or anything. Or they'll say, hey, come incubate your idea with us. You can get cheap rent or no rent and come hang out and other people are trying to build some cool stuff and it'll give you a bit of an environment. Um, that's what I probably think the best resource is. Um, but still a lot of people kind of stay in their, 
in their homes. They don't really get out, but I think it's so important to get out to those events and yeah, they could be corny and weird. And, um, and you think you're like ahead of maybe someone else who just like came with a napkin idea. But anyway, I think it's important to, to get out there. Yeah. I have to echo that sentiment. If I don't think I'd be where I am today, not that it's that far up any form of ladder, but being, having the willingness to network and go and meet new people is a superpower. And it's awkward. Like you mentioned, it's, it hurts in some cases, it's boring sometimes. And it kind of takes away from your personal time. But if you're not, if you're willing to do it, it can, it can have enormous effects on, on the future of your business or your, your professional life. Totally. Okay. So we're more of a public market investing podcast and I don't, I mean, you're not a fiduciary, so you don't have to worry about this, but like, what are you looking at? The market's absolutely hot. Do you have any like favorite stocks? Do you even care about that? I got some Bitcoins. Um, <laughs> stocks have been tricky, man. I'm like most, maybe not like most, I, you know, buy high and sell low. And now I just buy high and hold. Um, I mean, the only ones that obviously like I, I follow a little bit, I follow a bunch, but um, the real estate ones, Zillow, I obviously look at almost daily. I mean, I saw them at 28 bucks and I said, oh yeah, the world's coming to an end and didn't buy them. And I think they've like, you know, 5X since then. And that was just this year. Um, yeah, I think Zillow is a very disruptive company. And I mean, if you hear their founder, Rich Barton speak, um, like, I don't know. He portrays uh, some sort of confidence that's that's pretty important. And, and I've met some of their team and everyone's, uh, all of them are, are very, very smart. Um, and this eye buying thing doesn't seem to be going away. And it's still a little bit unproven, to be honest. I mean, the, the pandemic hit in March. Uh, they were only doing it for like a year before that or however long it was. Um, and, and they weren't totally crushing it then. And then the pandemic hit and it got a little weirder. Um, and now they're all their stock prices are way up, but yeah, I buying doesn't seem like it's going away. It's a very interesting concept. I still think the biggest issue with I buying is it's expensive. Um, and I think people still don't talk about that. I mean, it's, if you thought a real estate agent was expensive and that's not even talked about and that should be talked about because people kind of say, Oh, those are bundle fees. Um, but I buying is like, you know, call it 2% more than a, a real estate agent, maybe three. Uh, that's a lot of money. So if it costs like 7% to transact on a $500,000 property, that's 35,000 bucks just to move homes. If you wanted to move across the street, uh, that, that's kind of weird. Uh, and that's what, and, and actually like on average, that 7% might be what someone puts down on a down payment across the country. So now you've saved your whole life, worked so hard tirelessly, didn't do anything, didn't go on any trips, saved this 35 grand, you've accomplished so much. And then you just literally wanted to move to the other side of the city and you lost all that money. So I don't, I don't think anyone's talking enough about that. And I think that's a, it's a luxury to be able to do that. It's a luxury service that exists. Um, but I think that, man, is that ever expensive? Yeah. And if you, you take a look at it from um, a percentage of GDP, it's, I think real estate transactions are 2% of GDP. If you were to, I know a lot of people say, like you mentioned just now, um, it's, it's bundled into the price of the home. Or I hear this all the time. I don't pay for it. The seller pays for it. And I, and I just think, I'm like, okay, hypothetically, let's say you pull out your, your real estate, um, your, your, your fees, like let's call it $35,000 that the seller doesn't have to pay. 
Well, you can either remove that completely from the price of the home, or you can add it to the home value. But if you didn't, that would just open up a whole bunch of liquidity that can be used to buy a million other things. Yeah. So and I think it's not considered as much almost because let's again, let's say 500 grand is a property. Um, you know, like, oh, okay, well, we got it for like 500. What's the difference? 490, 480, 510, 520. It's all the same thing. Um, and then you sit there and you debate if you should add chicken to your salad at Earl's. Uh, <laughs> It, right. And and it's just that same mentality. It's like, oh, you know, I don't know. I had a bad week. I'm not going to add shrimp to my steak. But, you know, then there's this whole huge opportunity that people don't take advantage of uh, because, you know, the mortgage payments are, you know, only going to be higher by 50 bucks or something like that. And um, it's too bad. And well, now there's actually a law that's passing or passed in the U.S. where the buy side agent has to disclose his fees. So the next time a buy side, this is only in the US, but the next time the buy side agent goes to you and say, you want to go buy a house, he's going to say, hey, by me touring you through this house, I will be making $20,000. And you will now have to pay it, or at least it'll be disclosed. I don't know all the details, but you will know that that person is making $20,000. So when you go to see three houses and decide on it, and then it's closed, you just, you're like, wow, I just paid that guy 20 grand. It could be great. And it could be a fantastic service. And I'm not knocking realtors. I think there's fantastic ones and less fantastic ones like in any industry. Um, but at least you'll know how much you just paid for that. Yeah, the transparency in every industry is becoming more and more um, needed in order to even compete. So yeah. I mean, it's the same with mine. It's, it's no different. We're insanely regulated more than any other industry on earth. And we have to disclose everything. Right. And it's a good thing. What it does is it makes you, it, it, it the, 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 the cream rises to the top. It's always how it works. And, um, I mean, I don't see it any differently. And, and when it comes to realtors, but it's definitely something you should be considering if you are a seller, if you are somebody who wants to perhaps, and, and maybe you're somebody who's flipping, like to me, if you're a home flipper, like you got to be using tools like yours um, because it just eats into your margins so much. If you're somebody who's actually actively investing in real estate, residential, residential real estate, or just um, multifamily homes, you got to be approaching these areas because if you're paying three to 7% on in real estate costs, transaction costs, well, how do you even make money? There's no way you can, mm -hmm. at least if you can, you have to be so good at upgrading that home or on the buy you have to have some sort of information that nobody else has that allows for you to then sell it for more later, right? So as efficiency builds itself into our real estate, residential and multifamily real estate, it's going to become more difficult to flip houses without having that additional information that you guys are going to um, inevitably have as you guys aggregate more and more users and more people to your website. So final question for you, and I'll let you kind of get out of here. You had said that you were, you were working with, um, a, uh, you were kind of working in pub or private market investing. You, uh, I believe, is it Auto Capital that you worked at or helped found? Um, you said that you were, you invested in in some real estate. What was the first piece of real estate that you kind of invested in outside of your home? Um, my game plan for real estate was that I invested in projects that I thought could increase in density. Uh, never owned a commercial building. No, never owned a commercial building. So my whole game plan was like, hey, there's an LRT coming. We've all heard this LRT is coming for a long time in any direction in the city. Um, but the LRT was coming. So I kind of tried to 
get as much real estate as I could as close to the LRT lines as I could because I knew that that one single family house could maybe become three, four or five units. And then maybe if you put two or three together, uh, maybe that could be 50, 60 units if you rezoned it. So that was my play for a little while. And I did that for a little while and, and, and it became pretty fun. And, and then it kind of got harder. And so I still have a bunch of land next to a bunch of LRT stops in our city, Edmonton. And I think that was, uh, it was pretty cool. And um, so I essentially created a site for, for myself. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I thought, Hey, maybe other people could use this. Oh, wow. No, that's, I mean, that seems to be a good idea. I'm not an investment real or a real estate investment guru by any means when it comes to private markets it's not my thing necessarily but i've always thought that if you're investing in real estate the number one thing that you should be considering is is uh immigration population immigration so if you're seeing um demand for properties increase so if people are moving here i mean often people are like oh there are jobs here well like okay Alberta is still to me the reason why we've been able to at least have a a reasonably stable market for homes i mean it given our unemployment, you'd think it'd be worse. Um, but it's it, we are still, outside of um, GTA, the most desirable place to live. There, we still have net immigration to this province. Even throughout the pandemic, we've seen positive population growth, which shocks me. So if you're an investor, to me, that's where you should be hunting. I mean, um, if, you, if you're seeing population density increase, I mean, you should be able to to see some sort of appreciation in your property. Immigrants love buying new homes. I'm in, from an immigrant family, and that's the first thing that's instilled is that, you know, you're a nobody until you own your own home. I'm not sure that's the correct uh, mentality, but it's still very much the mentality. And I think that's, that's still, I mean, even when they do polls nowadays, um, even young people were like, oh, young people don't want to own a home and be tied down. And they ask them, like, what a couple of things they want to accomplish throughout their life, and, and it's own my own home. And, and it's still like, we think we're so progressive and we can just live in these like techie condos in big cities, but people still want to own their own home and they still want a backyard. And now it's even more true. Right. And even as I was saying, you never know where the market's going to go. I was thinking all this high density stuff next to LRT stations. Now everyone hates condos um, and they want their own space. Right. And that suburbs got a bit more cool than they used to be. Um, so yeah, yeah. The market, the market's tricky out there, but people yeah. are still buying homes. Who would have thunk pandemic would take you away from wanting to, we, we, we've been, especially like Iveson, he's been pushing for density in downtown and never have I ever in my life seen downtown Edmonton in more, I, I, there's just nobody there. Yeah. So uh, he's failed. I mean, it unfortunately took a, a pandemic to do it, but. Well, it's Iveson's defense. I don't know how many downtowns are thriving at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You look, even you go, you look South, you see the exodus out of San Francisco and New York City. Um, average rents went from $3,500 a month to $2,800 in San Francisco in a matter of, what, six, seven months? That's unbelievable mm-hmm. to see that destruction. So, I mean, have you have you been on Zillow in San Francisco as of late? Um, yeah, my brother-in-law actually lives in San Francisco, so I kind of follow the market that way. Well, I, I went to Zillow on on San Francisco and I zoomed out with my mouse or whatever. And you can't even see the underlying ground because there's so many listings. Wow. So it's too bad that uh, you guys aren't open down there. Yeah, we've got, uh, we're carving out a game plan for the US. Uh, Canada is a cool market. And I think you can still make a pretty good business up here and uh, you know, one day in acquisition, I think you can still grow big, but uh, to have a pretty good, interesting game plan to penetrate the US is uh, is definitely a goal of ours because 
the majority of the market's taken up by the big players. And I, and I still think there's space. I think people are pretty focused on the eye buying stuff. And uh, I think there's there's a space for a little honest door to come in there. Yeah, honestly, I'm pulling for you. I think you guys have an amazing little bit business, quite frankly. I think this is one of the fastest growing, or at least in my opinion, going to be one of the fastest growing spaces. Um, now, obviously, real estate's been around forever, but uh, just the combination of um, our our renewed interests and in the home that we live in, the fact that millennials are now moving into their own homes, they're, they're leaving their parents' basements, the fact that um, downtown isn't as attractive as it once was, and that our we're consuming more entertainment out of our homes, and we've we've started to create habits here. I do believe that um, there's going to be renewed interest, and that the space itself, whether it be the tools that are being built around it, um, the people investing in it, across North America, this is going to be booming. Um, you're st- you just see it in the stock prices of the of the indexes. The U.S. I the home shares ETF has gone up 170 percent since the middle of the summer. You have, I mean, just look at Home Depot and Lowe's and people are obsessed with their their houses right now. So uh, you got a lot of tailwinds, my friend. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate having you. And hopefully if you guys get acquired or if you guys want to chat a little bit more about some new widgets, I'd love to have you back on. Um, otherwise, I can't wait until our lockdown ends and then we can grab some beers. Definitely. Thanks, y'all. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want additional context or are interested in any of the people or links we mentioned, head over to our website. It's reformedmillennials.com. While you're on the site, make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's got a summary of all the most popular stories and trends from the previous week. By the way, this should be common sense, but this podcast and our website are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Joel does work for Gold Investment Management, and all opinions expressed by him, myself, or any podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of GIM. Clients of Gold Investment Management may actually hold positions discussed in this podcast. Have a good day, everyone.